Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. Today, I'm excited to share our second interview with Jenny Friedman, who is a dietitian and specialist in picky eating. Jenny joined us on the podcast back in episode 64 in March of 2020, and I was thrilled to have her back. I personally have learned a lot from Jenny's Instagram page. She shares so many actionable tips that have helped me with my own picky eaters at home. Highly recommend following her on Instagram at, at @feedingpickyeaters. In today's interview, Jenny and I cover a lot of ground. We talk about what differentiates basically a typical picky eater from some more extreme needs that we might, might want to address. And she shares a lot of background on why picky eating might happen and what are some of those background challenges that we need to identify. And then she goes into a lot of great tips on ways we can make the entire experience from the caregiver or the teacher to the child more enjoyable, more smooth, and less stressful. If you are a parent or caregiver, this is definitely a must-listen episode, but I also think these are great strategies for teachers and clinicians who typically have eating activities within their day, lunchtime, snack time, and we can help work on these strategies during those times as well. So let's go ahead and jump in. Hi, Jenny. I am so excited to have you on the podcast for the second time. I know. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you, Sasha. Hi, everyone. I always learn a lot from, you know, the, the previous episode we did, but from your Instagram so much that really relates to my own kids a lot. So I am really looking forward to learning more. Awesome. Thank you. 
So today we are talking about all of the complications with picky eaters and kind of dissecting the difference between kind of typical pickiness and then what's something maybe that's more related to sensory needs or just a little bit more advanced. So how do you kind of differentiate what is just like regular kind of a kid being picky and then what's something that's maybe a little bit more that we have to pay a little bit more attention to? Ooh, so there are so many ways we can look at this. And I think one of the big ones is kind of how it's showing up in your life and how it's affecting um, the child. So as the, you know, I like to think of kind of this typical, you know, and I'm putting air quotes there, typical picky eating as it's a nuisance. You know, often it's just like a kid's being fickle, um, you know, they're kind of being like, they're just being a kid. You know, one day it's it's something, the next day it's something else. You never know what to expect, what they're going to like or not like. Often, you know, vegetables, protein are falling into the categories of no. Um, but it doesn't have any really significant implication beyond that frustration at mealtime. And I don't want to, you know, minimize that because that is real. <laughs> like I have that going on in my house too. And it's hard, but it's very different from these eating challenges that can be linked to something like a sensory sensitivity or anxiety um, or any other difficulty that could be impacting eating. And when that occurs, we tend to see there's a lot more stress um, for both the child and the caregiver. Um, And there's a lot more um, kind of severity, just everything's a lot more limited. The reactions are a lot more, they're a lot bigger. So we see things just on a bigger scale and there tends to not be, it's not that fickle. It's not one day it's good and the next day it's okay. It's this consistent problem that can also be kind of bleeding over to other areas of life. Like if it's difficult for the child to eat at school or birthday parties, or maybe it's impacting growth or digestion. So that's what we tend to see on the kind of more severe end of the spectrum. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Like I like that idea of thinking about the inconsistency versus this is a consistent every meal time. It's a struggle because, you know, we I see a lot of that inconsistency, like, you liked this yesterday, why do you not like that today? And that feels like, you know, kind of just part of natural development of being a child. Exactly. Yeah. And it's really, you know, it's so hard to really define, but I I see that if it's really causing that stress and discomfort um, on a repeated, consistent basis, then yeah, we're looking at something that needs some attention. What are some of the big causes of kind of more severe picky eating when we kind of start to see it become something that's a little bit more problematic? What are, what are some things that could be causing that? Yeah. So the first, like, I think the main two that I see are sensory issues, which makes sense because food is just complete, you know, eating is a complete sensory experience um, and anxiety. And so those are the two things that like a lot of parents will kind of come to me and notice. But I think that those can link be linked to, you know, other um, kind of other issues. You know, there's some fear going on there. Um, there can be like kind of a traumatic eating history going on. So maybe a choking incident or Um, being kind of forced to eat something way back when or eating something that felt really uncomfortable for them. Um, And then often what's kind of built on top of this is this broken feeding dynamic where it becomes so stressful for the parent and the parent doesn't really know how to 
deal with it and the child doesn't really know how to communicate what's going on. And then eating just becomes like this thing, you know, it's this whole other beast kind of beyond itself. And so that can almost fuel um, the challenges that we see. But that's what's, you know, most often we can see some oral motor difficulties linked in there as well. Often that might be um, kind of associated with an eating trauma where eating was difficult at one point. So there's a lot that could be going on. And sometimes it's a bunch of those. Yeah, that makes sense. And thinking about maybe the typical advice that, you know, other people give that don't quite understand the complexities, like when you talk about sensory needs and anxiety and fear, that all makes sense. And maybe someone that's not part of that world might give that traditional advice, like, hey, just they'll eat when they're hungry or like, you know, that like that, that aunt that you don't want to like give advice that you don't want to hear their advice of like, well, I didn't do that with my kids. I just, they fed what I ate them. And you're like, thanks so much, Linda. But it's a little different here. Like, why does that not work? It doesn't worry. And yes, that's so true. And and listen, if you are a parent who's hearing this and you've been like, well, why isn't this working? You are not alone. And it's something we are still hearing from, you know, friends and family and medical, um, medical support. So, you know, doctors, you're not alone. Um, and what's going on here is that being hungry you know, like the child would rather be hungry. The discomfort of hunger is more comfortable than the discomfort of eating. You know, it's not that they like just don't want to eat. It's not that they're giving you a hard time. It's that eating is actually scary or painful or, you know, so uncomfortable for them that they would really do anything to not to do, to not do it, to avoid doing it. So they want to stick to their things that they know are safe and comfortable which is why we see a lot of preference for packaged foods, foods that are consistent day in and day out, you know, um, the sameness, kind of the insistence on eating the same brand because it's just so reliable and comfortable for them. So that advice doesn't work because there's no, it's not getting to the root of the problem. You know, if texture is a problem, chewing is a problem, no matter how many times you offer it, that problem isn't going away. So we really need to address the root of what is difficult about eating before the child is able to eat. That's so interesting the way you said that about the discomfort of hunger versus the, you know, the potentially the pain of eating. I've never really thought of it that way because you kind of, even though you know maybe that's not true for certain kids, you're like, aren't they eventually just so hungry? But if it's physically that uncomfortable, to eat, then yeah, I might want to sit with that discomfort of being hunger even more. Yeah. It's, it's sad. It's hard. And then, yeah. And I know pediatricians sometimes are giving that advice too, which I feel so for those families that are getting that advice from, you know, a medical professional who maybe just doesn't have enough experience in this area of expertise. And, you know, we have to like kind of go back to that parent intuition sometimes of even if you're, you know, even if you're teach if you're, your pediatrician is telling you this is just going to work out and you're still seeing it not happen. Like, have you worked with parents like that? that are like, I just got to go get a second opinion because I know that something's not right here. Yes. 100%. I mean, parents have broken up with their doctors before. Um, (laughs) and it's, but it's still, it's so common and, you know, eating isn't there. That's not what they're trained in. Pediatricians are wonderful. By and large, they're not eating experts. So, um, it's always good to get a second opinion if something isn't feeling right to you. Yeah. 
Okay, can you talk a little bit about the, you mentioned earlier this overall sensory experience of eating. Can you talk a little bit about what meal times and, and thinking about schools too and snack times and lunchtime there, about what that ex- sensory experience can be overall and why that can be so overwhelming for some of our kids? Yeah, well, there is just, so eating in and of itself, as I said, is extremely, you know, sensory. There's smell and texture and taste and we're using um, you know, all of like those internal senses that we don't think about also, everything is needs to come together. So it's a lot for the body to handle and coordinate. But on top of that, you know, things can be loud and there's a lot of smells from the food. Um, and, you know, people can be chewing and there can be sometimes a lot of um, kind of visual <laughs> stimuli going on too. I mean, especially in the classroom, there's just Oof, there's a lot. Excuse me. <clears throat> so what we want to think about is really making mealtimes comfortable for the child. And it's going to look different for everybody. But you can think about, um, you know, any specific triggers for a child, you know, whether maybe it is... Um, you know, distractions, having the dog around or sitting, you know, where they're sitting at the table so they can be somewhere maybe that's a little bit more quiet, um, minimizing maybe lights or music that's on. Like I know my son in his school, they read books during lunchtime. Maybe that's not going to work for kids who are kind of overstimulated or have that difficulty focusing in on what they're eating. So we want to think about really customizing the experience as best as you can. <laughs> Excuse me. And things that I find that are helpful are really um, establishing some routine and predictability so we always know what to expect. You can think about the transition to mealtime as well. Is there anything that we can do ahead of time? You know, some heavy work, some deep breathing, some relaxation exercises. Um And we always want to look at the chair also, like physical comfort and make sure that the child's sitting in a supportive chair. You know, my son is at the point where he's um, kind of resisting his high chair and he wants to sit in our lap or sit on like the big boy chair, but he can't reach the table, you know, like it's not, (laughs) and he's squirmy and it's uncomfortable. So we really want to think about how we can help these kids, um, you know, just do their best and kind of exert less energy elsewhere and be able to focus on the food and have a comfortable experience. Yeah, I love that advice of having like that predictable routine and like what it looks like before. So there's less unknown and they can kind of focus on maybe part of the unknown then potentially is is part of the meal. And that's where the energy can go, not the other components of the environment. Yes, exactly. So speaking of the new foods, what are your tips for getting, and this could probably be a whole episode in itself, but, and I know you have a ton of content on this. What are your tips for introducing new foods in a way that, you know, isn't going to cause a meltdown, isn't going to cause more stress for kids that are already struggling with mealtime. Yeah, it is tough. And I do, there's, we could talk about this for years, but I think the main thing that you want to think about is really meeting your child where they're at with their eating. So I have a lot of families who are like, Hey, you told me to introduce new foods, but I can't even put it on his plate without him getting really upset, you know, or she melts down just having other foods on the table. So you need to think about, okay, like why is that? And and kind of what's their threshold? And it might be different with different foods. So if you can have the food on the plate, that's ideal. If it needs to be a really small portion, that is totally okay. If it's not on the plate, that is the next best thing. Um, if it needs to be at the other end of the table or you need to introduce it outside of mealtimes, that's okay as well. So you really want to think about 
what's going to be most comfortable for your child. And one thing that can be helpful is to build on the foods that they currently enjoy now. So you have a child who loves, you know, chips and crackers and they like apples and you're like, all right, maybe they like crunchy foods. They're eating an apple. You know, I can think about a pear or I can think about, you know, some really toasty bread or I could put some crackers that they like and, you know, and use it to bread the chicken, um, you know, or bread vegetables, make something crispy. So we want to just kind of, again, meet them where they're at use their preferences and comfort to inform what you can do next. You know, if your child um, is that crunchy food lover, like working on pasta or oatmeal, that can be tough. So you might want to find something, you know, a little bit more in line with what they're currently eating and introduce that first. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I learned this from you a few years ago when I started following you on Instagram and it made so much sense. And I was doing exactly the opposite with my daughter at the time. Like I was like, here's broccoli. And she like at that point, like hated anything green, didn't really like, and it was like cooked broccoli. She didn't really like mushy things. You know, she like was kind of that crispy texture kind of kid. And I was like, what am I doing? Giving her something that's the polar opposite of everything she likes. Well, we don't think about it, you know, and we kind of think about what's missing and want to go from there. Um, but you'll get there. You know, I'm all about taking baby steps. So that's something else that you can think about. So talk to me a little bit about what type of either, whether it's a parent role or the educator or clinician, what's that like fine line of, you know, supporting, encouraging, prompting, but not putting too much pressure on it and like making it a bigger deal even. Cause sometimes if we give more attention, then it starts to snowball to a bigger problem. So what's that fine line of, of not giving too much pressure? Yeah, it is so tough. So, you know, this is another thing where really every child is different and will experience this differently. Um, Something that you can think about is working on eating outside of mealtimes. You know, often kids like feel just this inherent pressure at meals to eat. But if we're introducing foods, we're talking about foods or getting to know foods outside of the table and in just like a way that we can explore or play or get to know them or just see them for the first time. That can be a really helpful starting point where we're not then nudging them to eat, but we're helping them kind of boost their own comfort, their confidence, and their familiarity with this food. Um, You know, 
in terms of that line, like parents, parents always are asking me, you know, is it, am I pressuring them? You know, does this feel like too much? And it's really individual for the child. Some kids do really well with sticker charts or incentives. Some kids do well with the prompt, you know, my son, not on this extreme end of the eating spectrum at all. He's just a toddler. And so he does well when I'm like, Hey, what do you think about another bite of this? But some kids like will not respond well to that. So you really want to be um, cautious. And one of the things that I like is like, you can, you can take a bite of this, you can try that, you can move it. Saying that instead of asking or demanding, you know, like, well, take another bite, you have to do this, take another that. Can't you do that? That can feel really um, overwhelming for a lot of kids. So just letting them know you can take another bite, you know, if you want, you can try that, you can move it away, no problem. Um, Or not you know, and that's okay. And you're kind of giving them the option um, as well as the out. I like that, giving the choice. Cause that like that forced bite thing, like never sat well, like before I had kids or like, even as like a teacher, like three more bites till you get it from the table. And sometimes like, I'm like, they're just full, like, or they don't want to try it, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's hard. And you wouldn't like somebody telling you to do that, you know, like you're like, I'm done. I'm done. You know, or like, even like yeah. think about like at a restaurant, you know, you're like, yep, I'm good. And they're like, no, you need to have three more bites. <laughs> you know, I, I think you're not done yet. You know, like, that's, And that kind that's of is like a mindset thing that like, as you know, parents and caregivers, it's like, you have to eat X amount of your plate or percentage or whatever. So what, what role does our mindset play in helping picky eaters explore new foods and try new foods? Yeah, I think we bring so much to the table and we really set the tone. And so if we are coming to the table feeling stressed or feeling that pressure, holding our breath, you know, I think that really trickles down to our kids. So as much as you can come with this really kind of just comfortable, open, meeting them where they're at, no pressure attitude. And I know that is so much easier said than done. And this is honestly the biggest thing that I work on with parents who I work with, um, is really this mindset and this approach. Um, you know, but I want you to keep in mind thinking about meeting your child where they're at and really keeping meals comfortable and fun. Um, you know, not, not a stressful place because if we bring the stress and if mealtimes are feeling stressed, our kids are already feeling that. And that's just going to add to the eating and kind of exacerbate like this vicious cycle of them struggling. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is like, <laughs> that is me when I've tried to be like, you're going to eat this. And then everyone, no one eats it. Like yeah. my daughter still talks about years ago that she says, I tried to force, you tried to force feed me chicken noodle soup. And I was like, I didn't try to force feed you. I was just like, how you like chicken, you like noodles. Why are you not eating this? And like, yeah. I really made it a bit. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, listen, and this is, comes up all the time with parents too. It's our expectations. Like when we you know, I think that is what can spiral things when we're like, we expect this to go really well. We did everything right. And so we expect things to be perfect and easy. You know, you, you're like, oh, they, you know, I'm introducing this perfect food. I tried so hard. Then they don't eat. Then we get disappointed. And then we try all these crazy things. And that (laughs) is really when things start to kind of get out of hand a little bit. Yeah. And it's hard to see the progress in the baby steps, you know, when you're along the way, like looking back, it's easier, but when you're just, it's when it goes so slow, it's hard to notice those successes along the way. It is. And that, that is hard. And this is hard for your kids. And for some kids out there, it's been happening for a long time. So we 
we want to see big leaps and sometimes you will, but overall this stuff just does take a long time. And so kind of having that be your expectation is really helpful. I ask parents to kind of make, you've got your big long-term goals. You know, I want them adding new foods, eating vegetables, being able to eat out of the house. We can take a vacation. Those are some of the goals that come up a lot. Um, but what's something small, like can a mealtime start to feel better? Can we stress less? Can we be a little bit more flexible with like the cereal that they're eating in the morning? You know, just think about smaller things so that we can start to recognize some of that progress and feel better about things. What's your advice for teachers who have students in their classroom with maybe very limited, a very limited eating profile and what they eat on maybe starting that conversation with parents in a way that's you know, respectful. Cause I'm always, teachers ask me this a lot. You know, I have a kid that will only eat these three things and how do I talk to mom and dad? And I, I'm sometimes torn. Cause I'm like, if mom and dad or parents or caregivers haven't brought it up to you, it's always, you know, you want to be gentle there that maybe they, parents don't have like the capacity to handle this right now. And that's just fine. If like, they're not ready. Um, so what's your advice on how to bring that up in, in a non-confrontational, non-judgy way? Yeah, that, no, that's a really good point. excuse me. Um, So that's a really good point. And it's tough to know when to bring something up. But I would, you know, I think it's always worth saying, and you can kind of preface it, Sasha, the way that you had mentioned, like, listen, I know that this may not be something that's on your radar right now, or something that like, you know, is on your priority list. But we're noticing, you know, that um, you know, so-and-so is packing the same thing every day or is not able to participate in snack, whatever kind of issue that you're finding. And is that something you want to talk about? Is that something that you've noticed? Is there any way that we can support you with that? And I think parents, like the number one thing is that this just feels, you know, and, and you said it, like, it's not something they're ready to deal with right now or they're able to deal with right now. So if there's any way that the school, you know, that the teacher, you can volunteer, like, can I help with this? How can I help with this? Would be really, um, I think, really, really appreciated from parents who have a lot on their plate. Yeah, that's a really good way to phrase it that, you know, just notice this, but is that something we want to touch on at some point? Because I think, you know, sometimes kids get in a nice way caught up in some peer pressure at school of everyone else's eating, or there's some nice ways to kind of incorporate that into the classroom. And a lot of the strategies you talked about would flow so nicely into a lunchtime, a snack time would probably be very needed. So hopefully teachers could support some of those challenges at school. Yes, I definitely think so. I mean, I've heard that, and yes, the positive peer pressure is amazing. And I've heard of so many wonderful programs or, you know, just things in school and from parents too, who they hear of this going on in their kid's school and they're like, I'm so happy they're doing this. So any, you know, we're recording this in the fall and, you know, there's a lot of schools doing like apple activities, um, mm-hmm. you know, with real apples and we're talking about them, we're reading about them. Parents are like, so I just hope this translates to him eating apples. Um, yeah. So I think that the kind of those low pressure introductions to food, school is such a great place to do those because you get to learn about it. It's a really comfortable um, environment and hopefully that can translate to something at home. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. Where can um, listeners go to learn more from you, whether it's a parent that wants some help with their own child or for teachers to refer parents to to you as well? Because I think you're such a great source for support on this issue. 
Thank you. Yes, I would love um, love all the teachers to come to me um, <laughs> for some help. I'm working on some things that um, will hopefully be helpful to you guys in the new year. But you can find me so on Instagram. I'm at Feeding Picky Eaters. Um, and my website is JennyFriedmanNutrition.com. And Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Awesome. We will link those in the show notes. Thank you so Thank much, Jenny. You. This is so helpful. And I love that all of your strategies seem manageable. Like I like that idea of giving the big picture goal, but like these are small things we can work on right now on being less stressed in a mealtime or removing distractions, things that are doable. Yes, definitely. Thank you, Sasha. I appreciate that. And I should add to, if you're kind of looking for an easy way to get started, whether you're a parent or a teacher, um, you can also check out my book, which is called Stories of Extreme Picky Eating. And that's just a really kind of easy, low pressure, low commitment way for you as a caregiver to dive in and get some more information as well. Awesome. I will link that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you, Sasha. This was great. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.